they want to make these rules of, you know, these rules of nutrition and timing and nutrient timing and stuff, which I get the basic guidelines of it and the things that make sense from like a, a biological standpoint or how we digest foods. But that doesn't, that means nothing if I give someone a bunch of carbohydrates pre-workout and they just want to take a nap, like <laughs> any person, any type of like any little bit of common sense is going to say, well, that's probably not good. Right. You know, so let's not do that. <laughs> so that, you know, so stuff like that's kind of just takes a little bit of trial and error. The Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. Podcast. Hey, everybody, thank you for checking into this edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. For this episode, we bring you the big and mighty Austin Stout. Austin is a competitive bodybuilder, a coach, and an all-around wealth of knowledge. During this episode, you will hear us discuss topics such as pre- and post-workout nutrition, training intensity, and much, much more. Be sure to follow Austin Stout, that's A-U-S-T-I-N-S-T-O-U-T, on the socials where you will see some fantastic clips of him working out in the barn gym, and show him some love and let him know that you heard him right here on the CEP. Now, without further introduction, here we go. Hey everybody, welcome back to yet another riveting edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. I am James, and with me as always is my good friend Colt. Yes, sir. And on the line with us today, the big and mighty Austin Stout. How you doing today, Austin? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, man. Glad to have you on again. It's been coming up on a year since you've last been on, so if you could, man, catch us up. What's happened in the past almost year for Austin Stout? Uh, yeah, I mean, as far as new stuff, just a lot of the same, just more of it, you know, just everything seems like when you just, when you think you're busy, you just get busier, which I'm not complaining. That's a good thing. Yeah. You know, so have been doing, did a few more seminars last year than we did in the previous year, which is cool. So like the education bit is kind of continuing to kick up more and more. So that was exciting outside of that, you know, coaching mainly and, uh, traveling for clients and and all that stuff myself i competed last year twice no plans this year just kind of well just just trying to go up a weight class so that's kind of a big endeavor it's a lot of right a lot of food (laughs) a lot of food (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean nothing nothing really outside of that like all all good stuff just continuing to to build momentum you know it's funny because like you see on social media people that are successful and stuff and you just don't really people don't realize like what might go in on the back end of that the more i the more i go to like speak with people at seminars or talk to other successful coaches like you don't realize like people have been working 80 hours a week for the past like eight years you know what i mean and so yeah it is cool to see like the old hard work pays off type thing just kind of keep chipping away at it. That That is one method, believe it or not. I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of coaches online, a lot of uh, business coaches and that, and that does have merit, but the old keep working and it pays off. That is actually accurate. <laughs> so. <laughs> so you said, you said no plans for competing this year. Does that mean it could be a possibility? You just don't plan on it or for sure not happening this year? No, nah, I don't think so. I, I don't, I, I don't think I will just because of, I mean, I'm making really good progress, and I, I but I realistically kind of know where I want to be. Right. And and you know, if you look at like if you look at weight classes and bodybuilding as you go up, the the gaps between the classes get bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, and 
And the longer you do it, the harder it gets to make progress. Right. You know, so it's kind of like realistically, how much muscle are you going to gain in a year? If you're kind of an advanced type of, you know, trainee, it's not a lot. I mean, it's not going to be 20 pounds or anything like that, probably. So right. just takes time. So if you don't mind me asking, where are you at now compared to where you want to be? Right now, I weight fluctuates a little bit. I'm about, uh, I'm about, depends on the day, about 241 to 244 or close to a little over 244 some days depends, but I'm kind of at topped out right now where my digestion's starting to get a little funky on me and I'm having a really hard time eating, which that's actually been the case for about four months. So I, uh, I, I will have to probably pull back and just kind of let my GI track rest a little bit and then push back up. But I mean, realistically, I'd probably need to be, I don't know, 255, another 10, 12, 12 pounds, maybe, which doesn't seem like a ton, but it is a ton when you're eating over 7,000 calories a day and you just can't like physically make yourself eat anymore. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so it is a lot. It'll, that will, that will probably take me all of this year. I would imagine. That sounds, excuse me. It sounds like your GI tract is going to thank you for taking a little break. Yeah. I, it's funny because I'm, I'm my body fat's not really bad, so it's not like an issue of I'm just too, you know, I need to pull back for that reason. I, I told my wife I'll probably just fast for a week, probably be good to go. <laughs> there you go, right. So the weight class you're going up to, what is the range for that weight class? Uh, the, so the heavyweight class is anything one night. well, they say 198 and a quarter, I mean, I don't know the quarter, but 198 and a quarter up to 225 or 224 and a quarter, basically. Okay. So, so I, I just have to weigh anything under 224, right? You know, anything in that, gotcha. in that range. But, but I mean, I mean, I know about what I would have to pull off in a prep, right? right? So right. it's going to be, I mean, I'll probably lose, I even at a pretty good body comp, I'm still going to lose 30 plus, probably 30 pounds or so in a prep. And I, and I don't have to weigh, like my first time out, I don't have to weigh 225, but I don't want to weigh, you know, 205 right. as a 225 heavyweight. So realistically, I probably need to be 250, 255 or so and kind of come back down to maybe 215, something like that, you know, right. 220. Rather, yeah. rather be a big heavyweight than a small heavyweight. Yeah, well, big. Yeah, I mean, and kind of, I mean, I'll be 30 this year. Which, how much longer am I really going to be able to? I mean, you probably have from about 30 to 40 still to like actually push yourself and can continue to gain good muscle tissue. Right. And then, you know, it's like, I, I, I'm, doesn't mean I'll stop bodybuilding. It just means like, realistically it's, it, it's, you're not, your potential to gain muscle after a certain point definitely goes down, obviously. Yeah. So right. I'm kind of, kind of trying to get the most out of it that I can, you know, at this point. So absolutely. Right. So as a competitor who's not competing this year, what does that look like for sustaining motivation? Does it are, is, is your motivation going to take a big hit? Are you looking for next year? And, and does that keep the wheels turning? Or how do you approach that? You know, I've taken long off seasons before, so it doesn't it, – it, it is difficult for people that haven't ever really done it because you, you do run into that a lot. I was actually talking to someone about that the other day, is that you do run into people that they – initially compete maybe because they've lost a lot of weight or they or someone at their gym tells them they should compete because they look good or or what you know whatever the reason is 
and they, especially with, you know, social media influence now, um, and then they do it and then they, they're kind of lost, right? They don't really know what to do after that. And then they jump into another show because they just don't know what to do. And, and you can do that a couple times until your body starts falling apart. You start having hormonal issues and things like that. So, I mean, I personally understand the value of the, you know, the gap between, and plus I know the, I, I, I realistically know like what amount of time it's going to take to gain the amount of muscle that I need. And now it doesn't really bother me that much. Um, I've taken a four year off season in there. I can, so my first, I started prepping for my first show, I think around like 2008, like that. So was that 12, 12 ish years competitively started weight training a little bit before that. But, um, there was a couple chunks in there where I had like a year off. There was one where I took like three and a half years off to go up like 25 pounds or so, or 30 pounds or something like that. No, it's not, it doesn't bother me that much. I'm kind of, I'm intrinsically motivated. Like I, if you're not intrinsically motivated, it's very hard to be successful in this lifestyle at all, right. let alone bodybuild. Yeah. If you, you can't look for you know, like extrinsic or, you know, environmental motivation, it's cool to a point. Like it, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's not sustainable. It's not like it's, <laughs> you know, when I'm sitting, I'm sitting in my kitchen just staring at this meal that, I like cannot fit into my body and, <laughs> and it's not. And then I got to realize I got to keep doing that over and over and over again for however, um, you know, whatever amount of time or, you know, me, like, I don't know if you guys see any of my training, I literally work out in a barn by myself right. most of the time. I was going to mention that so, at some point. Yes. <laughs> so, so, you know, like it, it's, I, I mean, people, I think people naturally do thrive off of, of, uh, positivity or other people's positivities what whether that's like if they go to a gym it, it's little things too like and people probably subconscious it's kind of subconscious but you go to a gym and you're doing a hard workout and you're and you're going up in weights like you're hitting prs every week and people are looking at you like that that motivates people i don't care what anyone says like that right. you know what i mean that's a motivator so so all that stuff definitely has merit but you just have to I mean, I guess you just have to want the ultimate, the goal, the end goal has to be what drives you, right? right. At the end of the day. Right. I was going to oh, say, ahead. you have to be the, you, I think, are the epitome of self-motivation because of, like you said, you you lift out in the barn and you do most of the things. You, you're able to do all this from your own home pretty well. And that's not, I, I can imagine that's not easy for a lot of people in the bodybuilding lifestyle. They need the gym. They need those other people looking at them or, you know, helping, helping them through. It's, I, I had this conversation the other day, somebody came out and trained and they, there's a lot of people that say, Oh, I like to work out by myself. I'm like, you like to work out by yourself in a gym that has other people in it. Right. It's not the same. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not it's not even close to the same thing i worked out in nearly empty gyms before in like a weird hour something of the day right you know uh it's not the same thing as working out by yourself in this like haunted house looking ass gym <laughs> outside it's like 20 degrees it's like it's not not even comparable but i do little things like so actually when i when i videotape my sets i found that that actually helps me like my top sets, my big working sets and stuff that that actually helps me. Cause I know, okay, I'm going to 
post this online, right? Or what, you know, so right. um, no one's looking at me, but I know that I know that I'm trying to set a, like set a bar and help. And people like the videos. Like I, it's funny because I've had, I have people literally every single week say that's their favorite training videos on the whole, like on the internet. Nice. So it's like, you know, so I, so that it is a motivator. Yeah. Um, but, but I think my personality type kind of is, I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm not going to say introverted because I definitely am a social person in the right setting. It's just a matter of, I can definitely motivate myself to do things if I need to. Yeah. Self-motivation is huge. And I was going to mention the, your, your gym that you work out in as well, because, you know, I like my nice comfy gym. It's got all the modern equipment, you know, all the, all the benches are nice and comfortable and the, they, they keep the room temperature nice. And then I see you where you're working out. I'm like, man, <laughs> that, that, that's gotta be, there's gotta be an element of, of toughness, uh, of, of ruggedness or, or something like that. Just, just by watching those videos, I, it reminds me of Rocky four. If you've ever seen that he's training in Russia oh, yeah. in, in like three foot of snow and he's carrying, you know, buckets full of concrete and things like that. As Drago, his his Russian counterpart, is training in the nice, comfortable gym, and of course, Rocky comes out on top because he's rugged like that. He's got it like that, and that's what Austin reminds yeah. me of on Facebook when he's working out. <laughs> I I kind of like it though. I kind of thrive off of it because in my head, in my head, it, not that this matters. Is when once you get on stage, it's not like I don't get brownie points for doing that. Right? Sure. It doesn't make any difference. Right? right. Yeah. Sure. And it's just like if my prep is super duper hard and some other dude dieted in on no cardio and 5,000 calories, doesn't matter. Right. They don't care. Right. Doesn't make a difference. But in my head, it's, it's kind of one of those things where you know that you did everything you could and you don't, you feel good about what you did type of thing. And I'm like, okay, there's nobody out here is doing this. Nobody's doing this. So that counts for something in my head. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So I know you bring somebody in every once in a while to train with you out in the barn gym, but do you feel like you get the most out of your workouts on your own out there? Or, you know, I'm talking like, you know, not being able to really push, you know, completely past failure and things like that. I don't know if that's a type of training that you do in the first place or not, but you know, just the things that you can't do on your own versus having a lifting partner there with you. So I just, so right now the training is actually that's that's exactly how I train is everything it's kind of a lower volume lower volume um extreme failure type training like I, it's dc training if you guys are familiar with it so yeah. it's a low volume type of training the only thing that I really have to do is just pick exercises that are like if I need to drop the weight I'm not in a compromised position right right um so like Give you an example. Like I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't do a uh, a barbell bench press in that type of situation. Now dumbbells, I'm cool with that because I can let go of them or, or put right. them down or whatever. Um, you know, if I'm going to squat, I'm going to have my safety racks up, stuff like that. Um, just yeah, I mean that's really all it is. It's just a more of a matter of exercise selection. Just making sure that I can do. Um, I'm able to put myself in a relatively the safest position that I can let go of the weight or whatever. So, right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, not, not too difficult that way. Nice. Nice. Earlier you mentioned seminars and you were doing some educating. What, what is it that you uh, do specifically when you're at a seminar? What does that look like for you? Well, it's so 
just different topics. I mean, it depends. Like I've done, I've done some here. I actually did. I did one in the bar gym, believe it or not. And a bunch of people showed up. Oh, they wow. loved it. Perfect. Awesome. <laughs> it wasn't cold though. It was, it was springtime. So. <laughs> um, but if it's, and then I, I did some at the old gym that I used to own. It would be things like those would be more all encompassing. I would talk about a multitude of topics throughout the day, maybe have like a, like a special guest come in. So I, I did a couple at my gym where um, one of my friends, Dr. Serrano, who's pretty huge in the industry in terms of the medical field. Like he came in, he came in and talked about just some various stuff. I just let him have it. I was like, you can you know talk about whatever. Hmm. Um, and he brought a couple people with him and they talked about some different stuff or like some of the ones that I've done recently are more, uh, we have multiple speakers. So we had like four or five speakers and we all present on a topic like PowerPoint style, you know, and then, and do, <clears throat> and do a Q and a at the end, a type of thing where people can ask questions openly. Uh, those that's, that's kind of like a one day seminar format. And then you can have a bigger format where like I got to do the Q and a panel at the, it's called the physique summit this year. That's a um, two day seminar. So they, they would have presenters, during the day, and then you'd have a Q&A panel at the end. They would have presenters the second day, Q&A panel at the end. Um, and then they have some cool other stuff, like some prizes. They do like, you know, prizes and stuff in there. They have like a VIP tickets where you can uh, meet the speakers and train with the speakers and just stuff like that. So there's some cool, that's kind of like a, a, a bigger scale, I guess. And then I was, so I was on the Q&A panel for that, which I don't know. I would argue that that might be a little bit more difficult because it's just rapid fire with like 200 people in front of you and you just have to grab the mic and answer. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of what I did there, but I, I like all of it. It doesn't, I personally, I personally, I love the Q and a style stuff because I do a lot of that for my YouTube channel mm. and just, and just kind of like the off the hip type of stuff. But the presentations are fine. The power, you know, PowerPoints and stuff. Like I don't, I don't mind it any either way I'm, I'm pretty cool with it but that's yeah that's that's essentially what they are we have we already have another one set up in april probably have i'm trying to work on another one and um in various places maybe possibly texas so i'm just kind of like looking around at this point mm-hmm. yeah is uh is scott mcnally doing anything up at the arnold again this year you know i don't know i was going to ask him because we did that that uh live the live podcast last year right and i don't he hasn't said anything to me like he he briefly mentioned it uh a ways back but i haven't heard anything since then so i don't know if he was if he was maybe not able to secure a room to do it right or something like that i mean because they had the room last year but that obviously that costs money right so Somebody sponsored it. I think it was the best, like the best bar ever. The owners of that, or right. the owner of that, I think. So. I could be totally wrong, but I think he sponsored it. So I, I'm not sure if it was kind of a. I, I don't know what that room cost, but I bet you they. I bet it probably wasn't super cheap. Yeah, especially <laughs> for that weekend. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, probably not. So that it might it might have been something like that. I'm not I'm not totally sure. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna go. I. I'm not a huge fan. Like once, once you've been to the expo a couple times, it's like, yeah, you know, there's not, <laughs> it's kind of just a big crowd of people just pushing each other around. So it's not 
not really my thing, but I do have a couple competitors, so I'm going to go for that. I gotcha. Yeah, we we went up there for like about three years in a row, I guess. And then now I'm just kind of like, eh, on it just as far as just walking around and trying to, you know, taking an hour and a half to get eight feet isn't my, isn't my cup of tea really anymore. No, no. If, if I lived a little bit closer, see, I'm about, I'm probably, I'm probably about 40 minutes from there. Okay. So not too bad. But if I lived a little bit closer, I would have people. I'd, I'd open up the barn gym and have people come train. I'm sure they would like it. But yeah, I think awesome. it's just like it's a little bit too far out, you know, to make it convenient. So yeah, we're about seven hours. So <laughs> that, dri- yeah. that drive is a little taxing. Where are you guys at? Uh, about an hour south of St. Louis. Oh, okay. So that the physique summit was in St. Louis. That's where we drove to. It was in okay. What was one of the suburbs. I'm, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that's where we were at. It's about, it's about six and a half, seven hours from my house. Gotcha. Give or take. Okay, cool. Nice. How did you like St. Louis while you were in town? Do you have a good time in the suburbs? Yes. Of course. Yeah. Well, we went downtown. We actually went downtown and we went to, I'm trying to think, I think, yeah. So we went there's just a restaurant and just kind of looked at some stuff around downtown. Yeah. Cause we've done a couple of them. The other one was in Nashville. We went downtown there too. So I'm not a city. Like I live, I live out in the middle. I have cornfields on all four sides. <laughs> so like they don't, they don't have, there's not a whole lot out here. Like I got on, it's funny cause I got a new piece of equipment for my barn. And I, have you ever heard of the task rabbit app where you get on and like people will, you can like find people to push it together for you, like furniture and all that shit I have, like that. Yeah. Well, I, I looked it up. I was like, I really don't want to put this together. No, they don't service my areas. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have DoorDash here. They don't right. have anything like that. <laughs> so yeah, we're we're in that same predicament. We don't have uh, we don't have Uber. We don't have DoorDash and Grubhub and all those different things. I mean, we still have pizza places that deliver some food, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That that's it, man. That's. I do have Instacart here, though, so I can get my groceries delivered. There you go. Nice. Nice. And you have internet. I was going to say, I'm just glad he's got Wi-Fi. Right? <laughs> well, seriously. Yes, I, have to, I basically have to buy, like, the business Wi-Fi here to get, you know, like, the have good service and have enough, like, uh, bandwidth to stream stuff. Right. So. Yeah, you're still fortunate to have that where my where my mom lives that she still can't get a decent internet out there because she's just too far out of town and she's not even surrounded by cornfields surrounded by trees but that might be worse nevertheless yeah that, that's a that's a real first world problem right there is when you can't have good internet because that shuts down your netflix shuts down any podcasting really that you want to do if you're going to do it over the internet with your skypes and whatnot and so yeah it's, it's a tough thing to have to deal with but um, I, I love the i love the educational aspect of what you do austin and that's why I was curious about the the uh, seminars and, of course, your your coaching and you're a fellow podcaster as well. And so we've we've had a couple of questions lined up for you to try to add some value to our listeners. And so the the first one that we were curious about is your your approach to nutrition, um, specifically pre and post workout nutrition, and, and how to maximize your nutrition so that you get the the most gains. Um, and you've already talked about shoving 7,000 calories per day in your body and the, uh, the strain that will put on one person. But so if you could just talk to us a little bit about, about how you approach nutrition, um, when it's, when it's time to work out. Okay. So 
it's, it's obviously going to be kind of contextual, right? Person to person. Um, but I can give you a couple different scenarios that will, will kind of encompass most people. I think first and foremost, like digestibility of food, how do you, what, people have kind of a different preference. Like, so if I'm setting up a plan and I'll have someone eat a certain amount of food post or pre-workout, for example, we'll start there. I kind of give them a window. I'll say, you know, eat anywhere from 60 minutes to two, two, two and a half hours pre workout based on your digestion and your preference, you know, because everyone's going to kind of likes a different amount of food in their stomach or no food in their stomach when they work out. So that's going to kind of dictate, <clears throat> dictate like the length of, you know, or the time before you train. And the other thing too, is a lot of people use intra workout nutrition now, right? So whether that's <clears throat> like an EAA supplement with carbohydrates, or even just an amino acid supplement or a protein supplement. So that, that makes it different, because now we're feeding, you know, now we have something to enhance protein synthesis while we train. So we don't necessarily need to eat a meal like right before, right before we train. Um, so like people that, you know, the people that might train fasted even in the mornings, they, they're probably going to have some kind of amino acids while they train. And that kind of, um, that kind of like mitigates that, that fasting window. But yeah, so preference, it's totally going to be a preference in terms of timing. And now like meal composition, um, that will also dictate timing because a larger meal, I'll probably get eat further away from training just because again, digestibility, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be puking stuff up. And the, and the thing is people, I don't think they realize like how long it actually takes to digest food. Right. Um, you don't, there's, and, and meal frequency is kind of a different topic, but in all reality, you're, most people are going to have overlap in digestion as the day goes on. It doesn't matter. Even if you feel kind of hungry in your stomach, like there's still stuff, there's still food in there being processed. You probably really only completely empty in the morning when you wake up in all reality. So that's something to consider. And so the bigger the meal is, that's probably going to be, you might want to eat a little bit sooner. Like I'm, so now my, my meals are so big that I'm eating, I'll eat like three hours away from training. It's fine. I don't even think about it. You know, it just, I don't feel weird about it. I mean, in my intra workout shakes so big that I'm, I'm basically just having another meal while I train anyhow. So it's like, it doesn't rate like, I think my intra workout shakes like 1200 calories. You know what I mean? So it doesn't even that's that's like a meal in and of itself so it's not it's i don't really need to even eat close to training it doesn't really make that much of a difference to be completely honest i can right. there are some days some days where we'll train fasted and i'll just drink that intra workout shake i literally don't notice any difference right you know just that nutrition's there and the other thing to consider too is <clears throat> you already have so like what are you doing at the time are you in a fat loss phase are you in a caloric surplus um you know, anyone that, unless they're really deep into a fat loss phase, that would change it a little bit, but you're going to have stored nutrients, right? You're going to have glycogen stored. You're going to have, um, intramuscular triglycerides. So it's stored in your muscle. Like you have a fuel source. So I think people, they think that like, if they don't have all these calories before they train that they're going to go catabolic or their body won't have an energy source. And that's not, that's not true right? at all. So in all reality, you know, a lot of what is circulating in your blood or, you know, cause you eat it, it circulates, it's stored in various tissues. 
So that that food is going to be kind of, it, it'll be used to some extent, but a lot of the time you're also going to use um, different stored energy sources like your body might your body might um, dump some glucose in your bloodstream from your liver glycogen. Like it might, you know, put that in there to help keep your blood sugar labor or stable. Um, Cause there's a reason, like there's a reason that we can fast and not die because our body <laughs> has, you know, our body knows how to release energy sources. Right. You're not going to just, you're not just going to keel over if you don't eat. It doesn't, doesn't work like that. So, so yeah. And that, that kind of brings me to meal, like meal composition. Um, I, I don't, and, and there's going to be different views on this, but I have some people that eat carbohydrates before they train and some people that don't eat any. So, or they might just have like a, like a protein, uh, fat-based meal that has like maybe some, some vegetable or something and not like any starchy carbs, no rice, potato, like not, nothing like that. And that's just because they just like a more stable insulin environment. They don't like that. You know, they don't, they don't feel good when they have that peak and valley or maybe they have a smaller amount of carbohydrate because they just, they just want to take a nap during workout instead of, you know, instead of go train or they need to hammer so much caffeine to kind of offset that, that insulin spike that it's kind of not, that's not really productive at the end of the day. Right. You're just kind of masking. Um, so, and those kind of people are probably going to be the people that aren't really huge carbohydrate eaters to begin with. You know what I mean? You can, you can get a good sense of like what people are going to metabolize and feel good on based on probably what their daily nutrition looks like. If they're, if they're kind of a higher, faster metabolism, maybe, um, more of a hard gainer, like ectomorphic type, if you want to use that word, they might metabolize glucose a little bit better that that might be someone that wants pre-workout carbs. They're going to feel good with that. They're going to get good pumps. They're going to have good energy. And then other people, um, and I listen to feedback too. Like if somebody's like, oh yeah, I'm just, I just don't feel good after the meal or I just feel sleepy. Well, I'm not going to put that before they train. We're going to take the, we're going to pull the carbohydrates out and we're going to have like a more stable meal. Um, the reason I maybe put fat in there is just because it is an energy substrate, right? It does, your body utilizes energy. It gives you, and it can boost the calories of the meal up a little bit and just keeps things and fat slows digestion, you know, it's just going to keep things more, more stable. Um, it'll keep insulin levels more stable. Now exercise weight training is more glucose intensive, meaning, you know, if you think of different types of exercise, like a, a very low intensity exercise might be more fatty acid driven. So that's where the whole, that whole idea of fasted cardio used to come from, you know, and everyone do fasted cardio because, it would, you don't have much glucose in your blood. You don't have a, insulin levels are low and you also utilize fatty acids. So, but weight training, you can still burn some fatty acids Like your body. That's the thing. We, we have something called metabolic flexibility where you can kind of shift between fuel sources. You can, that's why ketogenic diet works, right? Because if not, you would, if you just stayed all fats, you know, you'd be in big trouble if your body couldn't shift between fuel sources. Right. So it's, it's just, it really just depends on what the person feels good on. But, but yeah, I don't really, I don't really like prescribe to the whole, you have to have carbs pre-workout or you don't, or, um, you need to eat 60 minutes before your workout. So I, I think that, but I think that kind of gives you an idea of like what kind of things you would look for. It's by feel, man. Like it's not like people try to put out, they want to make these rules of, 
you know, these rules of nutrition and timing and nutrient timing and stuff, which I get the basic guidelines of it and the things that make sense from like a, a biological standpoint or how we digest foods. But that doesn't, that means nothing if I give someone a bunch of carbohydrates pre workout and they just want to take a nap. Like <laughs> any person, any type of, like any little bit of common sense is going to say, well, that's probably not good. Right. You know, so let's not do that. <laughs> so that, you know, so stuff like that's kind of, just takes a little bit of trial and error and then you can figure thing you can figure things out it's not just see how you feel good like see what gives you the most productive workout that's why some people love training fasted and other people are like oh my god i'll die if i train you know fasted and like no you won't and there's actually i actually know a couple really big like elite level power lifters that are like you know 350 pounds that freaking train fasted and hit some of their best lifts wow you know what I mean? So you think, oh, those guys got to have a million calories in them and have their stomachs, you know, pushed out before they train. So, but yeah, it's just, it really just depends on the person. And like post-workout, I think actually, I think post-workout is probably actually a little less complicated just because there's, I think probably the main things I would consider would be, um, did they have an intra workout you know, shakes. So they have carbohydrates or, and, or, you know, amino acids of some kind. If that's the case, then the post-workout window is probably a little less important just because those things are still in your bloodstream, right? Like you're still, you're, you're not going to go catabolic. You're not going to, your protein, your muscle protein synthesis is still, is still heightened. So it's not really a huge concern. Um, for a lot of people, like if they have those things intra workout, you can eat a regular whole food meal, right? Just like protein source. If you're having carbohydrates in your diet, have a carbohydrate source. It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be a shake. It doesn't have to be like a powdered carb, like fast digesting. Um, just because like you, you already have those things in your blood. So now if you don't, then yeah, you might, there could be some merit in, because there are certain, like there are certain receptors that are, that are heightened post-workout, like GLUT4 sensitivities up, meaning you like, you're going to transport glucose more efficiently to certain places that are, is going to be beneficial. Um, so there, I mean, there are, there, there is like an anabolic cascade of things happening. So if you are, if you're not having anything during your training, then, then yeah, you could, you could use a shake and, and like a, like a powdered carb source if you wanted, or just have a shake. I mean, obviously like that stuff's going to kind of be based on what your macronutrients are for the day as a whole. So it's, and then I think the other thing would just be, there might be one little stipulation in there too, with people that are in a more extreme fat loss phase. I might, if food is really low, I'm probably not even going to have, I'm going to have them have a sufficient meal pre and post workout, you know, with sufficient amount of protein, but we might, we might do amino acids during the workout, probably not going to do carbs during the workout because they already don't get to, to eat much. So they're kind of, kind of want to chew their food as much as possible. Hmm. So that's kind of like a, and in that case, we might place the carbs in various places just based on, based on like not completely hating the diet, right? you know, <laughs> type of thing. Like if you if you get seventy five carbs in a day, like you get a one serving of carbohydrate in a meal, you're probably not going to want to do it from a powder during your workout. Yeah, it's not going to be 
So, but vice versa, you know, if you're eating a thousand grams of carbs in a day, then you might not want to eat. <laughs> you're probably not going to want much rice and much potatoes. So, you know, you kind of be strategic on your on your sources. But I think is that is that kind of makes sense, like in how I would look at timing and kind of just a couple different scenarios there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's good. I myself, I feel I, I like going into the workout fasted. I, I like I like at least at least somewhat and not having a meal too too close to the workout. But I, I do still feel like my workout suffers a little bit when I don't eat uh, within, a, I, don't, I don't know, probably a two hour window. And I, I feel like I just don't put quite as much into it. And that's probably pretty normal. But I feel better in the long run if I if I don't go in with a with a belly full of food. But then there's this this trap that I can get into that after the workout I tend to want to just gorge. I I will just it's hard to stay focused on what I'm eating at that point in time because I'm so hungry and I just want to swallow up everything that comes my way. And so right. you know there, there's a couple of traps in there for me and it's if I don't stay calculated I I tend to fall into those traps. Yeah. So yeah, you obviously have like certain hunger hormones and stuff are going to be heightened because you've just depleted energy stores and your body wants to eat. Right. So you're going to, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny how that works though, too, because you have other people that you ever hear people that say they're not hungry post-workout, like they don't have an appetite right after they train. Right. And so some of that depends on just total daily food. Like, like me, for example, I'm never hungry because my body doesn't want to eat anymore. So it's not giving me any hunger signals, right? So versus if I have someone that's really, really low on calories, they're always going to be hungry regardless of what they're doing because their body wants them to eat. But just saying like, assuming you're not really far away from your homeostatic point, like you're not like any direction way up or down, it's, you do have your nervous system dictates digestion too. like all those muscles that contract in your GI tract and move food. So like rest and digest, right. Is that's, that's a parasympathetic process, meaning it's a resting nervous system. That's when you're calm. That's why you ever notice like people that have people that are really stressed, they'll have digestive issues because of that. Mm -hmm. It's not because not because what they're eating probably it's probably, well, I mean, it could be, but it's just because, they're never in a parasympathetic state. So their digestion, you know, their GI muscles and overall digestive process sucks because they're, they're just, you know, they're anxious or they're, they're maybe like just hammering thousand milligrams caffeine every day or, or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, you do get that. Some people aren't overly hungry post-workout. Other people are a little more so. Um, but I mean, if you just wait, like sometimes it could just be a matter of not eating for 30 minutes after the workout. Once that nervous system kind of comes down, you, your hunger is going to pick up. You're going to be hungry. Right. Sure. Yeah. And maybe you might, you might be very, very hungry too, just depending on, you know, just kind of depends on the person. Yeah. You mentioned, you said your shake, your intra workout shakes are normally like 1200 calories. Okay. Do you, uh, do you care to share what you've got in that? I, I'm not sure if it's exactly 1200. So it'd be, it'd be something. Yeah, it would be right around that. Maybe a little more or less, but, um, my, really my goal there is just liquid calories that I don't have to chew. Right. right. So, and it's, and they're, they're easily digested. So I would just start sipping on it. I normally start sipping on it 
a little bit before my training session. So, cause I haven't eaten for a, a two to three hours before. Right. So, um, maybe like five, 10 minutes before I'll start sipping on it. Um, right now I'm doing, I'm, I'm not doing a bunch of uh, essential aminos. I actually just do a full protein source. So like way isolate. Okay. And I'll use, so typically what I use is like a, I have a fruit flavor. So it mixes into the car powders, um, instead of like using like vanilla or chocolate or something. So I'll do 60 or I'll be doing 40 grams of protein plus. So it's basically just two servings plus a scoop of EAAs. So that would add, it depends on if you count the protein or not. It was basically like 55 grams of protein in the shake and then, um, 200 grams of carbs via powder. And that's, yeah, that's the shake. And it has very little, like it has like two grams of fat from the way I slate, right? It's pretty minimal. Right. Um, but the 200 carbs is, so with the 200 carbs, I do use, so I work with a company called Morphogen and I use, mostly use their product. And it, it there's a couple, or if I, I don't have people use that, what I'll typically do is I like to have, especially if it's really high, I'll like to do like a, a couple different uh, carbs that have different rate of digestion. So a lot of people will use like the, uh, like the cyclic dextrins, right? Highly branched cyclic dextrins is the big one. Mm -hmm. That's like the, that's the one that everyone likes to use. And it's a great carbohydrate source, um, for many reasons. But if you're having 200 grams, the gastric emptying of that is so fast, like it goes through you so fast that you're probably going to have diarrhea if you're taking in 200 <laughs> grams. Yeah. Right. It's because it's not, it's going to blow right through you. So kind of my goal there is that the carb powder, it's, it's called hexogen. Um, it's just different. It's essentially like having a couple different speeds. Like it has a little bit of dextrose in it, which is a little bit slower. That's something you'd find in like Gatorade, right? Or, and then it has some of the highly branched cyclic dextrins. It just, and it just has multiple speeds of digestion. Um, and that just, that just makes sure that I'm not crapping my pants, you know, throughout <laughs> um, so if in like a really high carb situation, I'll, I'll usually have people either use that product or we'll use like a, like a 50, 50 blend of cyclic dextrins or carbolin, whichever they prefer. And then the other half would be something a little bit slower, like dextrose or maltodextrin or something like that. So, um, yeah, it's just, just trying to make sure that you're trying to make sure you're not, you're relatively comfortable when you train. So and it takes a big shaker. You ever, <laughs> you, know, you know, the, the things that your mom used to mix Kool-Aid in like the big, the big pitchers. Yeah. Like big pitcher. It's like the pitcher with the screw top on it. Like that's what I drink out of every workout. It's like, jeez, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> uh, I, I do have a question for you. I don't know if it's, e if it'd be an e if there's an easy way to explain it or not, but you've mentioned EAAs a couple of times, and I know our listener base may not be familiar with EAAs versus BCAAs. So your essential amino acids versus your branch chain amino acids. Could you, is, is there an easy explanation between the two? Yeah, it's just, all it is is branch chain, just the three branch chain amino acids. So leucine, isoleucine, and valine, and then EAAs are just all of the essentials. You'll get uh, some of the different, like some people will argue there's like one, one more, one less essential. There's one that they might tack on or throw off, but, um, normally it's going to be around eight ish, depending on which product you get. And that's just, all that is, is just, um, 
amino acids that you're not going to produce in your body that you need to get through dietary sources, right? So the reason that you would, the reason that people would say they're superior is just because now you're getting all the amino acids to initiate protein synthesis and not just the, the BCAAs. Now, however, I'm taking in a complete protein source already. Right. So really the main thing that I'm going to get out of EAAs is it's just going to give me a little more, um, make sure that I have enough leucine, which is the main one that's going to drive protein synthesis. So gotcha. because those, the powders like the EAAs and BCAAs, they're very high in leucine content. That's the one that's going to make, you know, help initiate protein synthesis. So that's kind of, um, that's kind of why I add it. Plus it does, it does have caloric value. I know people say that's like, you'll get people that like are in a real deep fat loss phase and they, they'll drink, they'll fill their gallon jug full of like EAAs or BCAAs and drink it all day. Like, well, you just drank like a few hundred calories, you know, because the, the amino acids have usually right around four grams per, you know, or four calories per gram, just right. like protein. So that's, so it does add calories. Like it's funny because like literally anything I can do to add calories, I don't use, you know, you're in, you're in prep or in a deep fat loss phase. You're using like Walden farms, condiments, like low sugar ketchup. I'm like, nah, like barbecue sauce, teriyaki sauce, <laughs> you know, whatever, like anything to, anything to add calories at this point. Right. <laughs> so, well, that, that's the famous thing with Ronnie Coleman, right? Everything was in barbecue sauce. Yeah, it's, I have no, I mean, you can only speculate. I have no idea what kind of calories he used to eat, but, and obviously he had way more muscle mass than me, but it's, <laughs> uh, I could, I can firmly say that I would much rather eat low calories than this any day of the week, for yeah. sure. Like, not, even, not even, this is not even questionable at all. <laughs> wow. 7,000. That, that's, that sounds like torture to me. I mean, that, that's a lot at some point in time. I, I feel you, you gotta, you gotta wish that you could go on a diet sometimes, right? Do you ever, do you ever give yourself, I mean, I guess food breaks for you would be not eating so much, right? Like when you give yourself a, a break from your caloric intake, it's like, do you ever just take a break and not eat so much and just maybe get four or 5,000 calories in you in a day? And is that a routine yeah, so that you do? My, my non-training days are a little bit less. They're, they're close to 5,000, but that's when I'm not training. It's a lot though. Like I literally am sedentary. I'm sitting on my ass eating 5,000 calories, not even training. Like it's a lot, right? you know? So, um, it, you know, like my wife and I will do like a, a meal off plan every, but my problem, which is fine. Like it's more of a, just, you know, we're hanging out type thing. Right. Mm -hmm. But like I gotta, I gotta consciously think about it because my hunger is so, so low and I'm, I'll, I'll under eat, you know, I'll lose weight because it's just, I'm not getting the calories in it. Cause now, I mean, I supplement, it's funny cause I have another client. You guys, if you ever see my videos, one of my friends, Derek, he's one of my clients. He's, he's relatively close. He comes out on the weekends a lot. So he, he's kind of the same boat, like in the off season and we eat like 7,000 calories. And we were joking because it's like never drink water with your meals. Always drink something that has caloric value, like orange juice or grape juice or something, you know? So it's like little things like that. I'm supplementing meals with like, I'll have a shaker cup with grape juice and then add carb powder to the grape juice and shake it up and drink and gulp it, you know? So you're not doing that at a restaurant, obviously. Right. And, and I can only eat so much, like you can only eat so much 
junky processed food before you just feel like crap. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and I've honestly, I've never been someone that's like really, like really, really greasy food because I just don't feel good when I eat it. Um, And I would rather, and if I'm going to go out, like I know I'm going to have to eat again before I go to bed and I don't want to just be like incapacitated the whole day and on the toilet, you know? Mm. So it's, it's kind of a fine line that you tread. Like I, you know, you could say, Oh, just go out and eat, you know, a few cheeseburgers or whatever. It's like, yeah, for one, I'm full after the first bite. Cause my body doesn't is like rejecting food. And secondly, <laughs> secondly, I'm just going to literally have to like sleep the rest of the day. Yeah. After I eat it. So it's like things you don't really consider, I guess when you kind of get into that territory. Yeah. I, I seen the other day, John, John Meadows posted and he said that the secret is actually pecan pie. Did you see that? Yeah. I, uh, we, we poke, we poke fun back and forth at each other a little bit on some stuff like pecan pie. He was talking about, so we'll get onto this topic because you asked it like training intensity, right? Uh-huh. You know, he, uh, we, we kind of like throw some subtle jokes out there about that too like just different things john's a good guy he's actually pretty local to me yeah yeah he lives he lives right out here um maybe like 30 minutes away i would say nice yeah um yeah i mean we can talk about the intensity thing a little bit if you want unless you have questions no no i I think intensity is is a great segue right now and i was i was kind of uh wondering how your nutrition plays in to the, your training intensity. And I know it's difficult to work in generalities because everything is pretty much individual specific, depending on the person. But uh, we can use like your example, you for an example, um, how you kind of uh, that symbiotic nature between your, your training intensity and your nutrition. Um, how do you approach intensity and what kind of generalities can you give for anyone who is, uh, I, I guess, it's goal dependent and, and how they should um, look at their, their training intensity to uh, reach those goals. <laughs> so I think there's a, there's a couple really good, really good, um, things you can link together here because, so this has been a super hot topic with how much volume should you do when you train, like how many sets. And that was, there's a bunch of studies coming out or people talking about it, arguing about it. And there's also how much intensity should you use? Like there's a couple things called, like RPE is rate of perceived exertion, meaning a 10 would be, you know, the hardest and then down the scale. And then also people use the terms like reps and reserve, RIR, R, you know, zero would be failure, obviously, like you can't move the weight anymore. Mm-hmm. And then, then on down the line. So there's been a lot of debate about <sighs> should you or should you not train to failure or how much volume should you do? And I think the problem is that there is, there's a huge correlation between the two and how you can view them because in general, like in general, the more intensity that you do, the less volume you're going to be able to handle most likely. Right. right? Just from a nervous system standpoint, like not even, not even a muscular recovery. Cause I mean, like anyone in a a calorie surplus, if you're trying to build muscle, you're going to have, if you, if your nutrition is at least decent and you have enough protein, the muscular recovery part is probably going to be fine unless you're training like seven days a week. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's more so the nervous system side of things because it's, you know, it's taxing on your nervous system. Plus people have other stressors like 
training, it's funny because training is probably only a very small fraction of people's overall stress load, like a normal human being, you know? So you're, you're just adding an additional like stressor on top of all the other stuff you have going on in life. Right. So mm. like, I kind of, like, I kind of look at training intensity or like overall training load, like how much and based on person's recovery ability, but also I got to look at like, what's their life like, like my, it's, that's going to make a huge difference. Cause if they're super stressed, they're not going to be able to handle as much training wise, most likely, unless they just have like some bulletproof nervous system. And there are, there are people like that, right. but in general, like in general, that's not most people, like most people have, especially like some people that I have work travel a lot, or they have like really demanding, uh, jobs in like, like a CEO of a company or just something like that. Right. They got, they're, they're, they're stressed out a lot. Right. And of course, like, of course we try to mitigate that stuff. We try to do things to enough sleep, you know, all that, but, and that would be like a whole different topic, but yeah, kind of, you kind of look at intensity and volume would be, would be in like kind of a U-shaped curve, I guess, where it's like more volume, probably going to be less intensity and vice versa. Because there was, I know there's some studies that people looked at, like they were doing like 30 sets to failure in a workout. Well, for one, if you did, you, you could do 30 sets to failure, but of course, after like the first two sets, your performance would just be like, right. Yeah. You're, you're still going to failure, obviously like you're, but you're, you're lifting like a 25% of the weight, right. You know, so it's not really at that point, like you don't even have enough load on the bar to make it like productive. So it's, it's difficult. That's why if you look at low volume type of programs, you look at like DC programs, like, or which is, you know, kind of an older style, um, or just people that train low volume, they usually train to failure because it's lower volume. Um, you're also, you can also elicit. So that intensity portion also elicits an adaption. So when you, when you constantly, when you train to failure and you have really heavy loads on your back, one of the adaptions would be your muscle grows because your body's like, oh shit, like we need to handle more weight. Like we need to do something to handle this. A couple things happen. You will have a, you will have like a neural adaption. Like powerlifters might not gain a ton of muscle, but they do get stronger. But a bodybuilder is training a little more reps, right? Typically like a little higher. Like, so they're probably going to have, and, and that's, and that's another topic. Like, you know, reps for a hypertrophy, it could be, it, the range is really, really big. Um, but typically we're not doing like one or two reps on a set. That's not really what we're doing. So, yeah. So again, more intensity, probably going to be a little bit lower volume and vice versa. If you're doing, there are training where people are doing a lot of reps in reserve. They're not doing much going to like absolute failure. Um, they might do a little higher volume. Um, it's a couple things like whatever works, obviously that's what people say, whatever works. I know it's kind of like a really, that's like a, um, way to dodge the question, but, um, but also psychological preference. Like if they, if you like to train a certain way, you're probably gonna, that's probably where you're going to drive, you know, unless it's like completely idiotic and not suited for your body at all, then obviously it's not going to work. But right. if, if you enjoy it and you're able to put your mind to it and get psyched up for it and progress, then it's probably going to be a good 
rel- you might have to fine tune some things. Probably going to be what you need though. Um, and then also uh, overall load, like strength of the person and experience levels. Like the stronger you are, the more load that the more intense or more demanding that is on your nervous system, right? So like my my set to failure with 500 pounds is going to be way more taxing than somebody else's set to failure with 150 pounds, right? right? So I'm probably going to have longer recovery period between work, maybe between workouts or even between sets, maybe within the workout. And then also I'm just not going to be able to handle as much because you know, I got, it's just a lot more taxing because your muscles grow, but your nervous system adapts to a point, but it doesn't, it doesn't just like adapt and adapt and adapt and adapt like your muscles do. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't really work like that. So, so you kind of have that inverse relationship between the two variables Does that make sense. And then the yeah. other thing would be, um, the other thing would just be like experience of the person because the problem, you know, the problem with really using the word failure is like, is just the fact that a lot of people have never really been pushed to the point where they're, you know, like that, like near death failure type of scenario. And that makes all the difference. Like if I'm using a reps in reserve, well, if you've never trained to zero reps in reserve, it's going to be kind of hard to do two reps in reserve, you know, like you're not going to be able to judge that because two rep, like two reps in reserve is a very difficult set. You hear, Oh, leave two reps in the tank. That's still a pretty hard set. Yeah. Like it's not, that should be easy. Um, so it's, it's hard. Like I'll, I'll give you a great example. Like I, every once in a while, if I have someone come train with me, a client out of town, they lift normal basis. They lift a hundred pounds for an exercise for six reps. They come out, and they get 12. Well, they didn't get six reps stronger. I just actually was able to show them like what they were able to push themselves through, mm-hmm. you know? So now their whole, it's funny because now their whole reps and reserve like mindset changes. And the next week they go back to their training program and they feel like they got hit by a truck because now they've actually, now they're training so much harder. <laughs> right. Right. So now, now they can actually handle less within the workouts, you know? So it's like those, those kind of relationships between the variables, I think are the things that are missed when you're looking at how many sets should I do or how many, you know, how many reps should I do? Um, or you know, how much intensity? So typically, yeah, real basic, more intensity, less volume, more volume, probably going to have to moderate the intensity somehow, mm-hmm. some way. Where I your preference in there. I mean, I don't like, I know I post my training videos and I think that people get an idea that that's my style, that that's what I do with all my clients. And that's not at all true because like I have, I I have more beginner clients that I know that they're not going to go in there and just blow themselves out of the water you know, and be throwing up in the corner after their set of squats. Like they're just not going to train like that. Right. So what, what am I going to do? I'm going to give them more volume because I know that they aren't probably aren't going to train quite as hard. So I'm going to intentionally add more volume in there to help elicit that response. Whereas my advanced trainee, that's pretty strong. That really kicks his butt in the gym or her butt in the gym. We might have to do a little bit less because they're really strong. They really push hard and we might have to do a little bit less. So, um, 
you know, that's, that's kind of some of the things I'm looking at. And that's why it's, it's so difficult to look at a study and, and just really even because not only like experience of the person, but how strong they are, um, males and females are a little bit different. Like you ever train with a, a female, like an advanced female trainer, trainee, she, she normally runs circles around a male because their recovery is a little bit quicker. Um, and they, uh, they are typically able to do a little bit more volume and, and move through a workout. A little, like their recovery period between a set, I'm laying on the floor and they're ready to go. Still, right. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's not because they didn't train hard. It's just because that's kind of like a biological thing. They just recover quicker. Um, so I know there's a lot, there's a lot to consider there. And that's why I get so, that's why like, I literally don't even pay any attention to studies like back those kind of studies anymore. Cause it, it doesn't mean jack shit because it just, you, you can grow with any type. You have to have a progression within your workout. That's the biggest thing. You have to have some way that you can progress within your workout. For me, it's for simplicity's sake and for an ability to amp myself up and like know what I need to do. I prefer the more low to moderate volume. And I prefer to know I need to lift a certain amount of weight with, you know, with, um, with correct form, right? Like actually not just move the weight. Like I'm actually stimulating the muscle. Mm -hmm. And, and I know if, if I go in and I continuously beat that weight, I'm going to progress as long as I'm stimulating the muscle. And then it's, and it's, you know, there's a dead end to that, right? You're not going to get, I'm not going to be bench pressing 2000 pounds. Like you're going to run out of room. Right. So there's other ways we can do it. We can change exercises. Like if you're a little bit, like if I have someone that's a little bit older, maybe they have joint issues, right? We can't, I can't load them up with tons of weight. So we might do things like train at less advantageous angles, like make an exercise harder, you know, to where you don't require as much weight. Like, you know, a, a squat, squatting up and down like this is that's a heavy loading exercise because just the position that you're in versus, you know, versus like a doing like a Bulgarian split squat where you have one foot up on the bench and you're squatting with one leg. You can make that pretty intense. It's not a lot of weight, you know, and there's I mean, and there's a million ways to progress. There's things like you guys had Scott Stevenson on. Mm -hmm. Right. So he uses muscle rounds within his programs and that's just muscle rounds are just cluster sets, just like a, a cluster of sets put together. And it, typically his muscle rounds, I think are six sets of four. So you would yep. do four, you do four, 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 you know, up to six. Yep. Well, you can progress within that. Like if you got, if you did five, if you did a hundred pounds on your muscle round and the next week you did 105, you just did 24 reps with five more pounds. Right. You know, like that's, that's progression. Yeah. So you can, there's a million ways that you can like tack weights, weight on or, or reps on, or you don't have to do, you can do it on any exercise. You can, if your joints are compromised, whatever. I mean, there's so many ways that you can do it. And it's, that's, that's a pretty surefire way to progress is add load somehow. I mean, that's, it's a pretty good way to progress. I mean, there, there, there are pitfalls to everything. The pitfall being obviously like people just move weight for the sake of like their form sucks. They don't have any kind of connection with the muscle. I mean, that's not good, obviously. Um, and then, you know, the other would be just 
adding volume. That's another way to progress. Uh, you can, you can progress and, but it's a dead end, right? There's still, still a dead end to that as well. You're not going to be doing a hundred, you know, a hundred working sets in your workout. It's not, it's not going to work. But, um, the funny thing is I was having a conversation about low volume training. So if you look at DC training, a lot of it is you work, you warm up to a top set of some kind. There's a top set that's your failure or whatever. But if you're pretty strong and you do in it, you squat 500 pounds for however many reps, you have to do like seven warm up sets. Like you're accumulating volume. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you look at classic examples, Dorian Yates. Dorian was obviously strong. He had a ton of muscle mass. Right. And like you see his sets in the gym, but yeah, he did. He had to do quite a few warm up sets to work up to that. He was in those warm up sets were still like three or 400 pounds. Like, yeah, that's still doing something. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's not like that's not doing anything. It's still, it's still definitely stimulating muscle and, and causing a, you know, a response. Mm-hmm. I think I have a glare here. Yeah. There we go. Perfect. Kind of angelic there for a minute. You had a glow about you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, so it's like I, I, people like are so black and white with it. And that's just not, it's just, you really have to just find a progressive stimulus. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. That's, there's a lot, a lot of great information in there, Austin. I, I like how you include the psychological preference as well. And, and what that does, not just to the body, but to the mind and how the person approaches training, because that, that makes a huge difference. And uh, it, it makes me wonder, and I'll go ahead and ask the question really quickly. Um, do you utilize any kind of stress management in your training with, with your, with your uh, trainees? Do you employ any kind of stress uh, management, any kind of stress reduction? So that because, because knowing, having that insight into the kind of stress you're putting on not just your body, but your mind and heavy training um, it, with the life stress that one already has, has to take a pretty big toll, right? And so if, if one is going to train to the maximum benefit, they're going to have to try to reduce other stressors and their overall stress and how they're, how they're managing that in order to really ma- get, you know, get the maximum, um, uh, you know, to get those gains that they want. So I'm just curious if you yeah. use, utilize anything like that in your, in your training. Yeah. So it's, I, I did a presentation on that actually, like the, the autonomic nervous system, that's your sympathetic and parasympathetic. And then, so fight or flight, rest and digest. Mm-hmm. And it all kind of links back to your central nervous system. Um, just autonomic, all that means is just automatic. It's not, it's a, not a voluntary function. Right. Right. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's like a really big topic. Like there's a million different things you could do to reduce stress. And it's, but it's something that I'm, I constantly talk about because stress, not only from a training standpoint, but just from literally, if you, you start accumulating too much stress, a cascade of things happens hormonally. Um, everything's really in a feed loop, feedback loop in your body. So, I mean, there's so many things that, that, that can alter negatively. Um, not only from a training aspect, from a health aspect, um, hormone, like it, almost every person that I, I work with a lot of people with hormone issues, they're almost all chronically stressed almost all the time, mm-hmm. like 90, 98% of them. And we have to fix that component because your body is super smart at regulating things and at, you know, regulating these feedback loops. Like it has a system in place, but if you start screwing up one part of it, that's going to cause an issue. Um, whether that's like 
hormone issues like estrogen dominance in women or like people that have high blood sugars because they're super stressed out or just whatever, make a big ton of things. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah. Um, so first and foremost is, yeah, try to eliminate, try to eliminate unnecessary stressors in your life, right? Things that are just junk, like, you know, people like rid, rid your life of, you know, whatever BS you got going on as much as you can. Now that's only going to take you so far because, most normal human beings are going to have stressors regardless of, you know, you can't, can't like live in a bubble, you know, you can't avoid things necessarily. So right. secondary, like I would just say probably even more important would be um, just how you perceive stress, you know? So like, how do you, and I do this with people, it's like a real simple drill you can do. Anyone can do it. It's just, if you feel like you're, if you are someone that's stressed out, um, just write down like for a week, just take a little piece of paper, a notebook and write down how many times you get pissed off in a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like and it doesn't have to be pissed. Like you're, you know, you're screaming at someone stuck in traffic, but how many times do you kind of feel that, you know, that release of cortisol and get frustrated, your body warms up, right? Like how many times do you, do you feel that now? If it's a lot, and a lot of the time it's it's unconscious, like you just it's little things that you're doing all the time, right? It's little things that you just that you aren't really thinking about that add up. It's not like a chronic stressor, like a like you know your girlfriend breaks up with you, or like a family member sick, or something like that. It's normally just it's normally just little stuff that adds up all day long. Um, so if you can perceive those situations differently, or just react to them differently. That makes that makes all the difference, and you'll find that you'll find that your your stressometer changes. I just call it I call it the stressometer. So it's like <laughs> what used to be, you know, what used to be a ten is now going to be a two mm-hmm. because your your coping skills are so much better, right. and you can, you can go through a day and not get upset about things. Um, and there's a there's different articles I send people like different little things that we'll do, but just like. I think human nature is probably to our automatic response is negative to most situations. Like we think about negative first and if we can stop and analyze something logically, take 10 seconds before you react to it, then that makes a huge difference. So if you're normally getting frustrated 25 times in a day and then you can knock it down to 10, what do you think that's going to do over a month? Right. It's going to do, it's going to make a huge difference. And, and it's a, it's a snowball effect. Like it's going to make a huge difference to how you feel, your training, how you sleep, your digestion and all that stuff just starts to, starts to really add up. So yeah, it's perception. I just call it perception versus elimination. Like you can, you can only eliminate so much, eliminate what you can, but the rest comes down to just perceive like how you perceive things Mm -hmm. and, uh, it makes like, I, I, you know, I'm not a, not a therapist, but my kind of my secondary focus in school was psychology. That's just a huge passion of mine. So like, I, I do try to throw that stuff in with people because I know that I can give someone the perfect diet, perfect, or, you know, who have perfect nutrition, perfect training doesn't really make any difference if they're just, you know, stressed to the gills all the time. It's not, they're not going to excel. Um, so yeah, yeah, I do talk to people about it. Sometimes it's, it's just a literally a matter of me just making them aware of it. I can tell in their email. I mean, I'm not listening to them, but I can tell in their email if they're having a shitty week and that like they're 
I, you can get a, you know, you talk to someone in a text, like you get K or okay. <laughs> you're, that's not, it's probably not good. Unless it's your grandma that doesn't know how to text. Like it's probably not good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. So, I love the psychology aspects to it though. And it has, it's such an important role that it plays in everything. Of course, everything that you mentioned, the sleep, the digestion, the training, uh, it's all symbiotic, right? I mean, when one suffers, and, and I'm sure you've mentioned this, but when one suffers, they all suffer to some degree. And uh, the, psych- the psychological approach to um, to sleep or, or, or to training is affected by your sleep and, and by your digestion and so on and so forth. And one of the variables that I've noticed, though, Austin, is that it, 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 in relation to psychology, I've made it, I'm at an age right now where I, I really don't want to get injured, right? I've made it this far without sustaining any major injuries. And I know that in fa- that uh, that uh, affects my intensity of training, you know, because it, I I realize I could probably push a little more, but I'm like, eh, do I really want to pull my back out? Do I really want to, you know, displace this or, or or tear a muscle or something like that? And I probably sell myself short sometimes, you know, by doing that. But there's that psychological component that my brain's telling me, James, don't get hurt. And so I, I, I'm very careful about some things like that. And I just, I, I found everything that you were talking about, that, that kind of comes to my mind as well, because it is another component that I deal with um, when, I'm, when I'm in the gym and trying to lift something heavy. Or when Colt and I are trying to move a big, fat, heavy stove for my uh, in-laws last weekend. Let's that, not do that anymore. Oh, my gosh. I thought we were going to die. But anyway, <laughs> um, just wanted yeah. to, just wanted to yeah. throw it in there because I find it interesting. Yeah, that's, it is, man. I, I can, like, I know that would be kind of a topic for a different day, but I could pretty much link any type of, any type of health issue for the most part, unless it's like genetic or, or some kind of bizarre health issue. There's almost always, there's almost always a stress component. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I know people probably get tired of hearing stress, 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 but it's like, that's just the reality of it. That's just what's wrong. I'm guilty of it. I, and the reason I know most of this is because I screwed myself up so many times from just like, you know, from being overly, overly stressed from an environmental standpoint, but also overtraining and you know, all that. Right. So I learned from, learn from experience. Um, but yeah, that's, but yeah, it's, it's, it's so hard, you know, it's so hard to paint anything black and white in terms of, in terms of training, just because, everyone's capacity is going to be just drastically different. Mm, right. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Another thing goes along with that too is uh, ever since we had John Meadows on, James has really been, especially, which I kind of turned him on to him originally, but just the videos that John Meadows puts out and stuff too, you know, he talks about being older now and wishing he would have trained, you know, kind of the way he does now, the way, he, you know, he wishes he would have trained that way back then. So he wouldn't have sustained the injuries that he did and stuff like that. So anybody who's, uh, you know, interested in that topic, John Meadows videos are a perfect avenue to, to yeah, look. Absolutely. Look at John too. Like John's an example of, like I said, sometimes you can train at make exercises harder without necessarily making them more dangerous or, right. or heavier. Yeah. Like that's, that's part of what he's doing in there. Right. So that's mm-hmm. still, that's still a progression scheme. It's still making things progressively more difficult, but not necessarily using, you know, like, you know, 600 pounds. Like it's right. not, doesn't have, doesn't have to necessarily be that. So, um, yeah, people just, 
I think people could just be a little more, a little more open-minded. I don't even hardly comment on anything online anymore in terms of training. Cause it's just like, Oh, you got to do 20 sets. You got to do five or you got to do 50 or you got to do, I, I do kind of joke about it. Like I will post training videos and I'll just be like, I'll just throw subtle stuff out there. I know people laugh. It's like, yeah, I'm just out here doing, you know, some 10 reps in reserve. I'm like throwing up in the corner, right? Like just joking about it. It's like, you know, we're doing some muscle confusion today or <laughs> we're doing some, we're doing some high volume, you know, it's just, or I'm doing some, uh, getting a muscle pump. Well, I just joke about it, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it is hilarious. There's like literally, there's so little critical thinking skills and so much black and white thinking because people, everyone has PubMed now uh-huh. that it's yeah. nuts. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no matter what your thought is, somebody's going to have a retort. Is that the word I'm looking for? Retort against it. Yeah. I think that's good. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. A great, a great statement. I, I tell people this all the time. I said, if somebody, if you're trying to work with a coach or you're trying to find someone to, excuse me, trying to find someone to get, you know, gain knowledge from, if they have a style and that's all they have, run away. Right. Because that is, that's right there. That's your first sign that it's just a closed minded, do things this way. And that's the only things to do. I get asked that all the time by client inquiries. And I have such, like, it's literally the hardest thing for me to answer. What's your nutrition style? What style of training do you prescribe to clients? Like, I don't know because I don't know <laughs> anything about school. <laughs> they're like, what? they're like, well, aren't you a coach? Yeah, but that's not how it works. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. What you're asking is well, not what makes a person a good coach at all. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I know, like, <laughs> I know like these, uh, when I was, I'm not old, I'll be 30 this year. So not old, but I do have good 10 plus years doing this now with, you know, helping people. So it's, but I remember when I first started, all the old guys are like experience, experience, experience. Like, okay, now it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> also, we we want to be, uh, we want to be mindful of your valuable time. And so try to, um, try to sew this up, I guess, if uh, you could just kind of give everybody your information, where they can find you, where they can see the uh, the barn gym, which is uh, always an interesting <laughs> thing to see on social media for us. YouTube channels, yeah. uh, websites, whatever you got, man, throw it at us so people can look you up. Okay, so um, my Instagram is at Austin ST8, just the number eight. Now, on if you go there, just in the, the little bio, I have like the, a link tree. You know, it has. Then I have a links to my website, uh, podcasts. I normally post links to like uh, seminars and things that are coming up. So you have like the entry, the way to enter. Um, and then my Facebook, just Austin Stout. You'll find me on there. Just flexing bodybuilder guy. You'll, you'll figure it out. <laughs> <You're right>. And uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure my YouTube, um, my YouTube is also linked in the link tree. And I, I do usually like a weekly or every other week we'll have a, have a Q and a up so you can see those on there as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the podcast, right? Yeah. So the podcasts are, well, the optimal physique development podcast, we just call it OPD. It's kind of a long name. Mm-hmm. And then the mind body broadcast, both of those are also in that link tree. So you can find links to 
like Libsyn or, or you know the streaming where everything's stored at, mm-hmm. so you can go in and find those um, and listen to all that. So a lot of this stuff's on there. Um, if you're super interested in like breaking stuff down like that, the Mind Body is awesome because we'll have more like instructional type stuff. Um, OPD is more of like very specific, in depth things, uh, a little more advanced. Yeah. Good stuff, man. I love just winding you up and letting you go on these topics. It's always a, a great time. I always learn a bunch and uh, just really appreciate you taking the time out, man, for us this morning. And I know you can't wait to go out and, and get in the barn. So <laughs> we, and drink, a, a, a drink about 2000 calories in, in one setting out, out of your jug. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I would say I can't wait. I'll do it. (laughs) Uh, We we appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on again. Always great to have you. And uh, we'll keep following along. And, uh, yeah, keep doing what you do, man. It's awesome. All right. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks again to Austin Stout. And thank you, CEP listener. Remember that word of mouth is like oxygen to our lungs. So don't forget to tell your friends and family about the great variety you hear right here on the CEP. Please subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you consume your podcast to keep the variety coming straight into those ear holes of yours with the automaticity. Also, on that note, when you go to Apple Podcasts, it would help us immensely if you would give us a five-star rating while you are there to show your love for the CEP. It goes a long way, and it doesn't take very much of your time at all. And speaking of love, we love it when you give us all of your love on the socials, so please... See us there. Give us some love. Give us some likes. Follow us. You know the routine. Come on now. And be sure to visit the launching pad for all things cerebral at thecepodcast.com. And of course, if you need to contact us, you can do that at cerebral at thecepodcast.com. Also remember about our official CEP merch at bijack.com slash CEP. So get online and get your CEP gear today. That's at byjack.com slash CEP. That's all I've got, folks. So until next time, be sure to keep those big, beautiful brands of yours nice and warm. See ya.